Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Story Blender. I'm Stephen James, and this is where great storytellers share the secrets to great storytelling. I hope your fall is going well. Uh, here in Eastern Tennessee, the trees are turning beautiful colors. It's a wonderful season to be outside. And it's also a season for stories, for storytelling, um, whether that's on the front porch or maybe on the stage at a storytelling festival, which are quite famous here in Eastern Tennessee. And so it makes me think of uh, just nestling in with a great book, a new story that I maybe haven't um, our new author I maybe haven't um, heard of before and read before. So my guest today has a new book out that tells the story of a woman trying to reconcile the memories she has with reality and to discover the truth about the life she's living. It's a perfect fall read filled with mystery and suspense, as, in, as we'll find out, not easy to categorize in one little genre. So if you like stories that kind of um, have a variety of aspects to them, this might be just the book for you. So also I should mention too, that, you know, probably if you listen that I love stories with a twist and endings that are not easy to figure out. So uh, this is a book that, um, that I'm looking forward to diving into. Kelly McNeil worked in the entertainment industry, promoting concert tours and theatrical events for more than a decade before turning her attention to writing. She loves telling stories with a good pen and good music on hand, often with her two daughters bopping along nearby. She's a native of Pittsburgh, but you can find her living in South Florida most of the time in London. The rest of the time, her latest novel, A Day Like This, has reached the number one um, list on the Amazon bestsellers in numerous categories, including re magical realism. So Kelly, thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Well, I'm super excited to chat a little bit about your book and about your approach to stories and storytelling. And first of all, for people who aren't familiar with this whole idea of magical realism, I know your book touches on a lot of different types of genres. How would you actually define or what would you say if someone would, were to ask you, what exactly is that? So that's such a great question because uh, it it gives me the opportunity to to talk a little bit about the different genres. Like I mentioned, it's sort of a genre bending book that I've got here on my hands. But magical realism is something that I've always loved because it places readers in very normal circumstances. So you're in normal family life. There is This is not an unusual world that you're living in. And that's the realism part of it. Mm. But what happens then is in the story, little oddities will drop in that seem to be outside the norm, unexplainable. Mm -hmm. And it's like getting to experience just a little bit of magic in everyday life, as opposed to fantasy, where you're building entire worlds often, mm. where there are magical creatures, magical lands, there are, so fantasy puts you in, in, in a newly imagined type of environment, a mm. newly imagined type of world outside of the one that we live in. Magical realism, 
puts a person in their normal circumstances, everyday life, and then drops in just little elements of interesting, magical things. <laughs> and so it seems like a normal world, but all of a sudden things don't go according to plan. And so I think um, that happens in, in your book, uh, in your new book, A Day Like This. And so mm -hmm. um, we'll talk about your book in just a little bit. And, um, but I was curious, what are, are some of the other leading voices or uh, maybe storytellers in this realm of magical realism that, um, that you've run across or maybe that have been favorites of yours over the years? Well, it's funny. There's another author who I have become friendly with over the last year or so by the name of Glendy Vanderaw. And she wrote a book that is similar in that it, um, she wrote a book called Where the Forest Meets the Stars. Hmm. It was out a couple years ago and it, um, it was very similar in that it was a family. It was, it kind of had this unusual family environment where a kind of magical little girl dropped in or seemingly magical is she magical or is she not mm. and i felt like glendy did a really beautiful job of navigating that story where the entire time the reader is kind of wondering how much of this is true mm. and how much is magic and that's really fun because they get to suss that out for themselves and it kind of um, takes readers on a journey of their own belief system because it can be in, in different ways. And I feel like our books are very similar and that's partially why we become friendly over this last year because mine does something very similar. Now, how do you keep readers um, engaged and actually like keep the story believable where they're not like, this is too far out there. I don't really buy it. How do you keep them sort of locked in? So they're like this, I don't know exactly where it's going but I'm super interested you know, in, in what might happen next. So the, I have an unreliable narrator mm. in my book and there's an element of mental illness that takes place throughout. So is there a magical element or is there not? And that's, <laughs> that is the question that happens throughout the book. And I think that helps people to believe the story mm. because they're dealing with a woman who is saying, who, who wakes up one morning, says, where's my daughter? And they're looking at her saying, you don't have a daughter. This life that you used to have doesn't exist. You imagined the whole thing. And it is most likely um, as a result of a, a brain injury that she sustained in an accident or very possibly um, a, a sort of genetically inherited type of psychosis. Hmm. So this main character is going about this journey with the belief that, oh, okay, I, I guess the, I guess this is what's happened. I'm, I'm suffering from, is it amnesia? Hmm. Is it one of these other kind of mainstream culturally acceptable um, <laughs> reasons as, as we would all do? If we woke up in that situation, we wake up tomorrow morning, we're living in a different house, our marriage is disintegrated or maybe, you know, what whatever, all of these things that happened to this woman, you would be looking for some really grounding ways to kind of, help you take a deep breath and make sense of it all. So that's the way, that's the opportunity the reader has to decide for themselves. Is this going to be a story about magic? But I kind of give little hints throughout. There's a little bit of a ghosty ghost element to it. <laughs> Her house may or may not be haunted. So I, I leave little breadcrumbs that sit, that 
reader to start opening their mind before they get to some of the more mind bending elements of the story. I like mind bending. I was mm-hmm. um, a couple of years ago, I wrote a book for a teenagers, a young adult book called Blur. And in that story, this guy basically starts losing touch with reality. And you don't know if he's going crazy or exactly what's going on. Is he seeing ghosts mm-hmm. or not seeing ghosts? And and so in a sense, I guess that was, I would call that an unreliable narrator because he did what we weren't sure and he wasn't sure exactly what um what was real and what wasn't real, what was a blur and what wasn't a blur. And so when we tell stories in this way with an unreliable narrator, how do we keep readers from feeling like cheated at the end? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, have you Mm -hmm. ever read a book or maybe seen a movie where it's an unreliable narrator and all of a sudden it gets this big twist or something and you're just like, Mm -hmm. come on, no, no, no. Does what do you yeah. do or when you're writing to keep that from happening? It's so funny you just mentioned that because you immediately made me think of Dallas, <laughs> like from you know ages ago. Whenever they, whatever Bobby woke up and it was a dream or something, and the entire oh, last boy. season was a dream, and everybody's oh, going, "Oh, okay," <laughs> you know. So there's that, and then also there was a book by a writer, and I won't mention the name because this isn't going to be the the best compliment. <laughs> there's a, there's a writer that I absolutely love, and. And she put out a book a number of years ago. And this, I just really went on this journey with these characters. And then at the at the very end, it was something very similar to mm. the, you know, the, the whole thing was a dream type. Oh, it wasn't boy. that exactly, yeah. Yeah. but it was, so you're, at the end I was like, yeah, I felt a little cheated. Yeah. So as I was writing this, I kept that in mind. So I'm so glad you asked that. And I, and I think that part of the reason it works is one, because although the, the ending does, it, it is very clear. I don't leave it open to interpretation. At the same time, it does give readers the opportunity to make peace with it hmm. according to their own belief system. So nobody's left feeling like they've been cheated in any way. This is not a situation where she, you know, she just sort of like wakes up and goes, oh, I guess it's all right now. <laughs> you know, it's not. So I was very careful to do that. Yeah, I think that's good uh, because, uh, you know, whenever I um, read a story and there is an unreliable narrative or a twist or something like that, I'm always looking for it to be believable, but also unexpected so that when it happens, I'm, you know, I'm like, what? I never saw it coming, but I should have. Like, Mm -hmm. I love that feeling uh, whenever Mm -hmm. I read, uh, you know, a story. And now your book actually covers a variety of different types of genres. I know we've chatted about that just a little bit, but um, it was uh, also, it's kind of like rural fiction and magical realism, also kind of women's fiction or just Mm -hmm. a variety of things. Mm -hmm. Tell me about your journey of, you know, hearing from readers and they're like, what am I supposed to call this book? Or how does that Mm -hmm. work? You know, what's that been like? A lot of the feedback has been has been that I've been getting emails and, you know, peeking at reviews and a lot of people are saying, I, I don't usually read this type of book. I don't really even know how to categorize it. <laughs> and I'm, I'm thinking, OK, that's a that's very valid and that and that's fair. And, you know, kudos to my publisher for being willing to publish a book that, that kind of did cross a couple genre lines. But I would say ultimately it's, it's it, it is. It tends to be family drama, mm-hmm. you know, with an element of suspense. 
the magical realism comes into place because there is a very strange situation with a woman who is hearing things she shouldn't, she knows things she shouldn't, she mm. starts exploring exploring different theories that are kind of on the fringe of what is, you know, culturally acceptable mm. or as, as being normal, I yeah. guess, as culturally acceptable, maybe a little bit of a, it may make it uh, painted in, in a negative tone and it's not, but what I mean by that is finding ways to explain things like deja vu hmm. or um, people who see ghosts. And there are all different theories about why those people <laughs> see ghosts. Is it in their heads? Is it imaginary? Is there, are there, is there really some other, is there really some sort of paranormal thing happening here? So when I did start, to, when I set out to, do, to write the book, I believe me, I was not intending to, <laughs> to sort of make my way through all of these genres. It's just sort of the way it happened by nature of the story. Mm. But I've, it is very much rural fiction because it's a love letter to an area of the country that I um, used to live in and, and um, miss very much. And so in that way, it was a very personal story to tell because I wanted to explore a story about a a woman who is who has lost a home that she misses and is and she sort of assigns a very spiritual character to that to that home. Mm -hmm. So it is rural fiction in that way. But then it also it's in London and it's in <laughs> Manhattan and and all of that. There's um, marriage elements in it. There's elements of divorce. So that's where you get the marriage and divorce fiction women's uh -huh. fiction you all you always get the women's fiction <laughs> label if the, if the main character is a woman so that that's perfectly fine even though the, actually funny enough the majority of the people who've been writing me have been men so i okay. think that's because oh, they're go. they're latching on to some of the scientific theories that are are woven into it a little bit oh that's fun so mm -hmm. yeah no that's that's interesting um mm -hmm. you know i think that I, I really like what you said, where it was something along the lines of you weren't trying to fit it into a certain group, category, genre, whatever, but you allowed the story to be told, even if it's hard to categorize. And so I really think that's vital to, um, to stories is that we're honest to the story um, instead of trying to package it a certain way, just simply um, or, or follow a specific format, but instead follow where the story where the story takes us. Now, when you were writing your book, do you basically outline mostly or do you write more organically? I know different authors have different approaches. Um, I was curious what what was kind of your approach with this with this story? I tend to not outline, but in this in this book, I had to do some because I, I had a very there's a very high likelihood that I could write myself into a corner if I didn't, because there were so many twists to the story. And I'm also doing, it's two different timelines, two hmm. different sets of story, two storylines, two timelines, and an unreliable narrator. That is a lot to take, that is a lot to manage. And I needed to make sure that I took the readers on a journey without getting them lost. Hmm. So for that reason, I did outline the first half of the book. Hmm. And then once I had it because I just sort of needed to know where I was going, but it, it, by about halfway through, that's when I started to decide how I was going to tie this all together. And mm -hmm. I didn't need to do it as much once I got going, but the first six chapters, it was, or first, not six chapters, the first half of the book. Yeah, I did. I did outline it. And then from then, from that point on, it was all very organic. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, mm -hmm. People tend to have strong views one way or the other. And it sounds like right. you just tried to, um, 
kind of approach the story in the best way that worked for this story. And that's mm-hmm. good advice. You know, I, I, most people who listen to the show know I'm organic writer and mm-hmm. that, I mean, I wrote a book called story Trump structure. So it's all about following the story, but, but uh, you know, some people organize ideas and so on differently. And as long as they're responsive to the story, I mean, more power to you, you know, whatever works for you for your story and your approach. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had three different type. I had, I had three different story ideas from the beginning that I needed to pull together. And they were all, they were three very different. Hmm. Um, they, they were very different and I needed to figure a way to braid them together. I and like so that. That's braid why, them together. Good. Yes. Yes. So that's why the outline was a little bit more critical. This, this, on um, this go around. Now, when you're writing, um, how important is the character's journey of discovery for you and your stories? Uh, some people look at stories really as a place to change characters. Some look at it as a place to reveal characters. Some look at it as a way to test characters. I was just mm-hmm. curious, you know, some people say, well, you need a character arc. So you have to start one way and end another way. Um, mm-hmm. It seems like in your story, at least in this one, it's more of, you know, her discovery than her transformation, but I may be wrong, but um, as she's trying to figure out what is real, what isn't, um, mm-hmm. what's your, what's your take on characters and transformations and so on like that? It's interesting you ask that because that is a, another part of the feedback that I'm getting. I'm getting people who are emailing me saying things like, you have, in, this book inspired me to start mm. painting again. This book has inspired me to take a look at my life choices in a more hopeful and possible, uh, you know, hopeful way wow. to look back on my life with more compassion, to realize that it may not be too late for me to have a second start. Mm. So that was not the original intention, but this, this story, uh, the story of Annie, the main character, she does go on a voyage of discovery that takes her within and she heals a lot of wounds in mm. her journey. So you're right that it is a journey of discovery because she's quite literally discovering all of these different, she's, she's, try, she's trying to figure out what's happened to her and how to, how to fix it or if it can be fixed. So it is a journey of discovery, but what really happens by the end is that she has healed a lot of wounds from Mm. her past that have gotten her into this place. And it's very much a story that is about taking a look at the way your childhood affects the paths and the choices that you make as adults Mm. and how you can you can have the opportunity to start fresh from a new perspective, letting those, letting those patterns go, letting those traumas go and um, making better, healthier choices for yourself and about finding a different version of happiness when you may not have had one before. And that really is the energy of her, her journey of discovery inward. And it's Hmm. about, healing her future by like really just diving into her past. I like that healing her future by diving into her past. Mm -hmm. It's nice. (laughs) So did you, when you had, um, well, maybe this story or other stories that you work on, do you Mm -hmm. basically kind of think about it in terms of what some people, the paradigm of plot driven or character driven stories? Um, Some people, if you, 
spend any amount of time with writers, someone will ask you, well, is it a character driven story right. or a plot driven story? Editors, agents, what is it? Mm -hmm. A character driven or plot driven story? Mm -hmm. And it forces you to have to sort of, which I think is a false paradigm myself, but um, kind of what's your take on, you know, your story or your approach? Do you look at plot driving the story, character, you know, driving it? What's, what's your take on that? This is a really plot driven story. I'll just say that. I mean, I will admit that from the start, you have, you know, it's very clear. A woman wakes up and is told her daughter never existed. Hmm. That's a pretty clear plot, right? So I would be, I would be lying if I didn't say the whole, the book started as a very plot driven story. Hmm. However, I like what you're saying because, I, you know, I think that once you start to get to know the characters, for me, as, as I'm discovering the characters, it starts to inform the plot. Mm -hmm. So sure, I had that I had that initial idea. I wanted a story about this woman who's lost her daughter. What, where is this daughter? What happened mm -hmm. to her? I wanted a story about a mother's intuition. That's a big part of the magical realism mm -hmm. that comes in. Uh, about a house that's kind of mysterious and drawing her back. And and um, so, yeah, a lot of it started out as plot, but as I really got to know these characters, the plot changed because their their personalities began to emerge. And, you know, it's kind of like, just, you can't decide your child's whole future for them when they're born. You know, their future comes into play as they're growing up and their personalities are developing. And I think that writing is very, very much the same way. I like that. And I think that is true. Um, I really respect you for, you know, allowing the characters to grow and breathe and, you know, and following where that goes, even though it might not have been something you anticipated, you know, mm -hmm. when you actually started, you know, writing the book. I sometimes tell people, you know, the question isn't just what would this character do, but what would this character do if I got out of the way? And um, mm. I think a lot of times characters sort of do inform us. People who aren't writers might say, what on earth? You're making this up. Like, what does that even mean? You know, but, but writers and storytellers a lot of times are like, no, yeah, I get that. It's mm -hmm. like, yeah, I need to step out of the way and, and mm -hmm. not intrude on, you know, who they are. And I like how you mentioned too, you can't know all of the future when you get to know a child and that the, um, that the more you get to know them, the more you'll understand, you know, how they would act and react and so on. Mm -hmm. um, now, some stories have a villain, a clear villain, a bad guy like this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so some stories have sort of forces of antagonism that basically are getting in the way of the uh, main character getting what she wants. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about your, um, your approach to stories um, as far as the forces of antagonism that you have keeping your protagonist from accomplishing her goal? So the issue that this woman has is mainly in her head. It's, mm. She's dealing with her own demons. So she's, own, she's her own worst enemy. Mm. But the reader doesn't know that for most of the story. They don't know if she is being, if there's some sort of sinister lot happening on the side that is keeping her from what she wants mm. are people lying to her what's happening but really her the, the the issue that she has most is is really like like I said the demons that she is dealing with that she has created this situation for herself 
and that's part of the healing that takes place. So that was really a fun thing as a writer to explore when there is no clear antagonist because yeah. the, the character herself is it. <laughs> and, you know, and the mystery because she is concerned about her own sanity and it's a very scary place to be when you, when you lose your own footing, hmm. very unnerving. And then that, um, yeah, I mean, it's hard to accomplish anything when, when that's taking place. And so she really needs to, to make an effort to, to clear her own thoughts and to learn to trust herself again. And, and that's a big part of her, her journey. Hmm. When you were talking about that, it made me think of this class I taught many years ago on memoir writing. So mm-hmm. I said to the people in this class, I was like, your memoir needs conflict. Okay, mm-hmm. that's what I said. Then actually this one lady raises her hand, she's maybe 70, 75 years old. And Mm -hmm. she goes, well, I've had a good life. I don't have conflict. Maybe I don't have any stories. So it was time for a break. Uh, We took a break. And then I said, well, just tell me a little bit about your life. And so she explained that she had been married 40 years and they'd moved 36 times in 40 years. They'd moved Mm -hmm. 36 times. And then also she told me how her sister was actually diagnosed uh, with a very serious disease. They were trying to reestablish the relationship anyway, how she was trying to help this neighbor who was under, she started telling me all these stories. And I I realized I was like, I was asking maybe the wrong question, not conflict because she thought, well, maybe, you know, but uh-huh. times of transition, struggle, uh-huh. uh, I, I, like goals that we're trying to um, reach or o- obstacles that we're trying to overcome. And, and so kind of reframe the way I look at stories. But, but I like that, um, you know, in your story, it's kind of like this transition and, and all these questions that come up. It isn't necessarily, there isn't like a bad guy or a villain sort of emerging from it all, but, mm-hmm. but, um, but that that it has a lot of these struggles, um, you know, in going on inside. And um, yeah, I I still remember a lot of times people will say you have to have conflict in your um, stories. Mm -hmm. And I always feel like conflict is bad stuff happening to you, but if you don't desire for it to be different, if you just kind of decide to put up with it, then there's no Mm -hmm. story, you know, Mm -hmm. like, um, so it's like only when conflict is wedded with desire, do you have tension? And so, um, so when, for instance, in your story, she wakes up and she's like, she wants to know the answers. She wants to know the truth. What mm-hmm. is real? Like what is, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And so that desire with the conflict then creates the tension that can drive the story. Yes. I like the way you said all of that, that the, the tension for her comes in, you know, it's not that she, her path is made easy because she's got people all around her trying to keep her in a box and she's sort of pressing against the sides of this box, knowing that there's something beyond it, but cannot because, because everybody is trying to, to either protect her or hinder her. She just can't get out. And so she's, you know, she's, that's the conflict and the tension that, that she comes up against. Yeah throughout the story and that takes place throughout the entire time. I mean, and on top of it, if, if you start to really feel very strongly about your own gut instinct or your own intuition about a certain topic, and then somebody is conti- continually presenting you with facts that disprove mm. it, that can be um, 
that there's a great deal of tension. I think we've all had that experience at one point in time in our lives where we're, we, we really need to, to, to kind of deal with that. And, and so that right there is a big part of what hinders her along the way and what she needs to overcome. Yeah, I feel like you're right on the nose that tension is really at the core of, I think, all great stories, really. It, um, it makes me think of when I was a kid, basically, I would come back from school after the summer vacation, and our teachers would always give us the same assignment. They would always say, write about what you did over the summer. <laughs> and so we would write what we did. Uh, like I went camping and then we mm -hmm. came home and I visited grandma and then I played video games and I watched a movie and then I went swimming. It's just <laughs> this list of things. So I was uh, asked to speak at this one elementary school on storytelling writing. And so I was doing this residency and fourth graders. I said, please, it was after vacation. I said, please do not tell me what you did over vacation. <laughs> But I said, could anybody tell me about uh, something that went wrong? Mm, and so this boy, <laughs> this boy raises his hand. He's yeah. like, my cousin came over to my house and we were having a contest to see who could jump the farthest off my bunk bed. I thought this could be good, right? <laughs> so he's like, he jumped first. He got pretty far. And I said, I can get farther than that. So then I was like, well, did anything go wrong? He yeah. said, well, I backed up to the wall to get a running start and I jumped off the top bunk and the ceiling fan was on. I got my head stuck in the ceiling fan, threw me against the wall, <laughs> but I got farther. <laughs> so I call it the ceiling fan principle and that you do not have a story until something goes wrong. And I know a lot of beginning writers and beginning storytellers will list a series of events that occur. Mm -hmm. Um and we'll be like, okay, maybe we'll say, what's the point? Or where's this going? Or I don't understand mm -hmm. or whatever. Mm -hmm. But like in your story, she wakes up. Everything seems to be going right, going well, boom, tension. Things, you know, have, have gone wrong. So you did a good job with the stealing fan principle that yeah. something has to go wrong. And uh, so whenever I uh, kind of teach on writing, I usually ask people, don't ask what should happen ask what, um, well, sometimes what goes wrong, but also, you know, what is the character pursuing and what's getting in the way. So it's fun to talk shop with other writers, especially about this stuff. Some people might be listening and be like, you guys are geeking out about tension. And yes. <laughs> so like, well, I don't know. I mean, it's, yeah. So hey. maybe a little bit, you know, but yeah. There's a lot of tension in the book. It's that that is the nature of the book, and so you know, it's meant to 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 give the reader that feeling. Yeah, it was very intentional, and it's funny. I love what you just said. Just to continue for a moment on that thread. Yeah. Whenever I when I pick my girls up from school every day, you know, you pick your kids up from school and you say, mm. "How was your day?" And they're like, eh, "It's fine." You know, you get nothing out of them. So when I pick them up, I say, "What was you know what was the best thing about your day?" And they'll tell me. It's usually something, you know, I don't know, we had pizza for lunch or something. <laughs> and then I'll say, what was the worst part of your day? And then they tell me the story goes on when they tell me the worst part of their day. There and, then, you go. You know, and, and how did that make you feel? Oh my gosh, what happened? <laughs> so, you know, and then it's like the whole car ride is full of their stories, but asking, yeah, what went wrong in your day? How could yeah. your day have been better? Really just opens up a different portal into their minds as opposed to just like, hey, what was good about your day? And like, yeah. Oh, pizza 
<laughs> no, yeah, no, that's interesting. Um, as you've been writing um, over the last few years, are there any tricks of the trade that you've kind of picked up, maybe learned the hard way, you know, working on uh, your stories and maybe something you weren't actually taught, but you've found out or discovered? Um, kind of any inside scoops for our listeners who are like, yeah, I've got a story, I've got something interesting I want to write. Where, what, what would you share with them? I think that w- when I talk to other writers who are just starting out on this path, they often talk about creative inspiration. Hmm. And I tell them not to worry about it because they, it's, I, and this is something that I had to learn along the way where you're waiting for that lightning bolt of inspiration to hit you in order to sit down and start writing. I think a lot of new writers expect that that's the way it's going to be Hmm. when it's actually the opposite, where you, you, you put your butt in the seat, you start writing, whether it's with a pen and paper or in front of a keyboard or whatever you need to do. The act of writing is what brings inspiration. It Hmm. is not the other way around. I like that. And I, so that's the number one thing that I tell anybody who is considering giving this a shot. But then on top of it, I tell them to trust their instincts, just like you said earlier. And this is probably why you and I would probably get along very well in terms of the whole <laughs> ideas about structure, because I'm someone who believes very much that you need to trust your gut as you're going. And yes, sure, you can have a rough idea of where you're headed because that's helpful, you know, but at the same time, you don't know what's going to inspire you next until mm-hmm. you type the, until, until you type those words and then it'll start to appear. And then after that, it just starts rolling. And then maybe it'll stop for a little while and you're going, oh, what am I going to do? The inspiration isn't hitting. Just sit back down and, <laughs> and start working again. And maybe what you, maybe what you write is going to be a load of crap that day, <laughs> or it may be something absolutely beautiful, but just yeah. let, let that inspiration flow but you have to do the work in order for it to happen. Otherwise you're just sitting there thinking about stories. It made me think of, I was teaching up in Alaska at a writer's conference and I was talking about this very topic of being organic or responsive to the story as you are writing. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. this lady came up to me afterwards and she said, I am an artist. And in my life, Mm -hmm. I've painted 1000 paintings. So Mm -hmm. I was like, that's a lot of paintings. You know, mm-hmm. she goes, mm-hmm. and before I started, I knew exactly what every one of them would look like. And I thought, oh, she's kind of disagreeing with me, whatever. <laughs> and yeah. I was like, oh, well, I was like, that's impressive. But <laughs> then she said, but in every case, I was wrong. Oh, I love that. So, yeah. So she had yeah. in mind when she started this creative process of painting, mm-hmm. you know, she had in mind, she thought it would look like, mm-hmm. but as she painted, she realized that there was something else that, you know, she yeah. was thinking. And so, so I think that, you know, a lot of writers really feel like they need to know where the story is going to go before they can start it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the questions I have is, uh, well, I would say every act of writing is an act of faith that you have to trust that you will come up with the next word mm-hmm. like that. And so mm-hmm. every conversation is an act of faith too. Like you don't sit down with a friend over coffee and know precisely what you're going to say beforehand. You trust you'll come up with the next yeah. sentence, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I love we, that. Mm-hmm. we do that every single day, you know, uh-huh. but when it comes to writing a story, suddenly people are like, no, I got to write it all. Before. I got to know beforehand. I got to, I'm like, 
you don't live life like that. Why do you think suddenly that a story mm-hmm. needs, you know, to be like that? So it's, mm-hmm. it's, yeah, it's an interesting, you know, question. And I have, you know, I've interviewed people who do 250 page single space outlines before they begin writing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, their mm-hmm. book. I've mm-hmm. even heard of one author who did a 700 page outline for his book. I'm thinking, what is that? <laughs> so many pages of outlines. So anyway, yeah. it doesn't work for me, but um, yeah. but I do love the idea of being responsive to the creative process. And I think I heard, okay, so I, I love what you said, what you say exactly, but um, inspiration doesn't lead you to writing, writing leads you to inspiration or something. Exactly. Yeah, yes. like that. That's great. Yes. And I think I heard that, was it Beethoven or Bach or one of the, to someone will know and they'll be like write me out like no you should have known that was so anyway one of the great composers um had to write like a new um piece of music every week for whatever church or Mm. cathedral or whatever it was Mm -hmm. he was working with Mm -hmm. and so it's like over you know decades and decades he had all of this music like he didn't sit around waiting oh well let's just see if uh, a tune comes to mind like what you said you sit down in the chair Mm-hmm. And the inspiration comes as as you work, um, not necessarily all of it beforehand. Now, there are probably moments where you, you, I think you mentioned, too, you wrote something beautiful. So there are those moments, but there are those other moments where it's <laughs> kind of a slog sometimes, but yeah. that's all part of the process. It is. It is. And, I, you know, one of the things that I cover, cover or talk about in the book is is the mysterious place of the artist's imagination, Hmm. where these worlds that artists and and storytellers and creators, film directors, um, screenwriters, where do these worlds that we all live in that are imaginary, Hmm. where is that place? Does it (laughs) exist somewhere? You know, and and we kind of, you know, and and we talk about, you know, great masters and and in in the book, it's it's one of the elements that gets explored. Where is this place and does it (laughs) exist? And how does it, how does it come about? And it's funny because for me, research also plays a big role in Hmm. inspiration because halfway through the book, I found a new, there was a whole new set of research that came my way. And as I I went down that rabbit hole, I thought, whoa, this changes everything. Ah, This is so fascinating. So it took the story in a whole new direction, which was just so fun. And if I had had it all plotted out ahead of time, I maybe, maybe would not have given myself the flexibility and freedom to to do that. And the book was better because of it. Yeah, that's interesting, too, that, um, again, some people will, you know, say, I'm going to research their book, whatever it is they're writing. So they start research. And then, you know, I'll meet them at a conference. How's your book coming? Well, I'm still researching it. Okay, next year, I'm at the conference. How's your book? I, I remember you were working on a book. Well, I'm still researching. Oh, no, no, <laughs> no I don't no. mean that. That's <laughs> no, I, I know mean. you don't. <laughs> but I'm like, that's not the process I would recommend. I would do what you do. And that is start working, keeping uh, uh, like one eye uh, open to mm-hmm. whatever comes your way serendipitously, mm-hmm. maybe this new piece of research like you you know, discovered or, um, you know, just something someone says that puts something in a new light. And so, yeah, I think uh, sometimes research becomes an excuse for procrastination for writers. Um, And, uh, and so I think, you know, launching into your story, trusting that it will unfold as you move forward, keeping, 
being responsive to research and stuff that comes up. I think all of those are great, you know, tips for writers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny. I'm working on something now and well, I actually just, yeah, I am working on it, but it's funny because I have, it, it came about in a new way, which was that I have the first part and I have the clear ending and I've never had a clear ending in my, in mine before when it, so it's the middle that I'm working on and I'm going, okay, well now this is a whole new, this is a whole new approach. And so how's this going to go? But it's, you know, I love the beginning and I love the ending. So blanks and make sure we do a good job of it how do we get from point a to point z <laughs> you know so it should be an interesting journey yeah. for me yeah that that's that's a trick i don't know the answer to that i'd share it with you if i knew it but i don't yeah. <laughs> okay i've never started a novel where i knew how it would end so um i've always had sort of maybe something in mind like in a certain sense i was writing a series of 11 books i knew the main character would live like Uh because he's going to be in the next book right so he's going to survive that's pretty vague though yeah that's yeah that's a vague idea (laughs) yeah so i kind of knew that at least but yeah but otherwise no it's um you know i was recently reading aristotle's poetics again and again people listening are probably like you just need a life steve that's <laughs> just something wrong with you <laughs> that sounds great <laughs> but but anyway one of the things he really emphasizes like some people will say he taught that your story needs a beginning a middle and an end now he actually taught that stories have four parts not three but but he does mention that stories have a beginning a middle and end but it's not that it needs three acts his point is that they're all causally related. Like you have mm. one event that causes another, and then okay. that causes like a final event after which nothing is logically going to follow. Anyway, so so the only thing I would say for you with your story is really just following the cause and effect, the choices the character makes. Right. Say, what would this naturally cause? And I, I think this whole area of cause and effect or contingency is just not taught as much at writers conferences and writing Mm -hmm. books and so on like Mm -hmm. that but it's so vital Mm -hmm. because like if readers are reading something and they're like that doesn't really make sense like why would Mm -hmm. this person say that or do this Mm -hmm. or go there or whatever a lot of times it's because the writer had in mind a destination they were trying to write toward but they didn't let the characters act in believable ways Mm -hmm. right so Mm -hmm. so it's some it's some sort of balance in there I know I'm in dangerous territory. Let's just be honest. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll good. let you know how it goes. <laughs> well, no, this is, I've enjoyed, Kelly, I've enjoyed, you know, chatting with you about story and your new book, A Day Like This, and and just kind of getting some of your approach to writing. Uh, are there any um, closing, you know, words of advice you'd love to share with any listeners who um, you know, might have a story inside of them. Like, I want to get this out. I don't know where to start. My advice is to start. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, it, it really, really is. And, you know, I also think that a really important part of storytelling for me, it has been changing my perspective and getting mm-hmm. out of my norm because when I do that, it, it opens up new parts of my brain. When I, maybe that's, maybe you start really thinking about your story while you're on vacation, you're in a different place. You're outside of your home. You're outside of your normal routine. Routine tends to bog the brain down. I think it can cause brain fog at times. I I think it can be a little uninspiring. 
doing your work, sitting down and working and, and, you know, doing the hard work you can do anywhere. And you Mm. usually will make as a part of your daily routine, because that's what you're doing. You're doing it as a job, but in terms of, um, you know, really kind of allowing the brain to creatively expand, I think it's very important to open yourself up to new, new people, new cultures, new, conversations with interesting people. They are so inspiring. The world around you is so inspiring. If yeah. you, oh, in, in, when you're in your day-to-day life, I think it starts to become a bit dull and you start mm. to not see things, but just, even if it's just getting out of your the county that you're living in and going to another one for a little while, it really just gives you, it wakes you up a little. It wakes up all of your senses. It helps you identify a sense of place a little bit better to just, if you're, if you're working on, you know, placing a character in a certain area, you really want to immerse yourself in that and immerse your, immerse the reader in it. You get those little snippets of conversation from people watching and yeah. eavesdropping at coffee shops and all those things. So, yeah, I think that's the, the biggest advice that I would give. It would be to A, just get started and then B, allow yourself a, a shift in perspective to gain a new appreciation yeah. for the world. Yeah, I like that a lot. And, um, you know, even just, you know, let's say that you're writing and you're under deadline or whatever it is, and you're in your basement or your Mm -hmm. office or something, and you're chopping away Mm -hmm. at it. Well, you know, maybe print it out, uh, print out your work so that you can look at it through fresh eyes. And the research actually shows that we remember better and are more attuned to when we actually have a printed page than computer Mm -hmm. screen. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe just print it out and then go to a coffee shop, like what you just said, right. you know, in another County or down the, you know, mm-hmm. another city nearby. And I do that. Um, like I'll drive to a coffee shop, maybe 20 minutes away instead of like the normal one I usually owe to you. Right? Exactly. Yes. And I'll just sit there and, and it's true. You know, it's like just slightly different environment and you are able to think in fresh ways about your story. So yeah, little tricks of the trade. I like it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, and, uh, when you mentioned, you know, um, kind of listening in on people's dialogue and, and so on like that, I think that's always a lot of fun to, to do as well. I was thinking of this one coffee shop I was at many years ago now, and I was sitting there working late at night and, um, all of a sudden these two guys come in they start chatting. And, um, one of them said, at least I thought he said, then we can finally recycle the untouched moment. And they just went on talking and I was sitting there like, what does that mean? That was so good. (laughs) Like, I want to know what it means to recycle an untouched moment. I want to touch the moment. I want to know why it's now time to recycle the untouched moment. And, but I just didn't ask them because I figured I must've misunderstood. Like, why would anyone say that? But it's lovely though. And so, um, so sometimes I just encourage people to, you know, touch the moment that you're in, like it might remain, might've been untouched. It might seem untouched, but somehow, whatever that is, you know, pull all of the layers away and touch it. And I think that's what you're getting at too, is, is living a life between drafts and getting out and experiencing and, and allowing that to help Mm -hmm. shape your creativity and your story as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so beautifully said. I love that. Well, Kelly McNeil, I've really enjoyed the conversation and it's been great having you on the show today. Um, 
I would like to see, is there a place online where people could either connect with you, find out more about your book or order copies of your book? Sure. The book is available wherever you like to buy your books. Um, and you can find me online at kellymcneil.com. And you can follow along on my writing journey on Instagram at Kelly L. McNeil and see little snapshots of behind the scenes of writing. <laughs> and um, yeah, I appreciate you having me on. This has been a fun conversation. Excellent. Yeah, no, great. And um, so yeah, we want our uh, readers to check out a day like this. It's a good fall read, lots of interesting um, different aspects of the story. And now you uh, listeners know the inside scoop about what's going on in the head of the author as she was working on this uh, in this new story. So I also want to thank you, thank our listeners for making us one of the top 10% most listened to podcasts in the world. Uh, for information about our other guests and to check out our other interviews, search for us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And you can also click to thestoryblender.com. And don't forget to like us and subscribe to receive our weekly podcasts on Friday evenings. So as I like to say, and we close up with, tell your stories well, my friends, and always remember. The art of the story is all in the blend. Take care, everyone, and we'll see you next time.